Hi, I'm Dan Fuco. I'm delighted to welcome the first lady of the property industry, Glynis Frew, to the Spriff session today. Glynis stepped down from her position as CEO at Hunters and from the board of the Property Franchise Group in March this year, but remains with the group as Franchise Training and Development Director, together with her role as current Working Group Chair of the Upfront Information Group, part of the Home Buying and Selling Group. One of the most respected and influential people in our industry, Glynis has successfully steered Hunters through property booms and recessions, as well as taking the company all the way from a leading York-based independent to listing on AIM in 2015. Glynis, it's an absolute pleasure to be talking to you today. Thank you so much for joining me. Well, you know, it's a pleasure to uh, to be on the programme and to meet you. So let's start with an easy question. Could you tell us something about yourself that you think a lot of people won't already know? Um, it doesn't have to be work-related. Well, it's funny you should ask me that question, actually, because whenever I used to take a training course, I use, I always used to start with that question for, you know, with everybody else. And um, one of the things that, lots of people will not know about me is that when I was 19 I went to live in Italy and I was given a gift of some tarot cards and I actually got very very good with the tarot cards to the point where I could actually um, tell the future out of even just playing cards. What's the best prediction that you've had then from telling the future? Um, Well, there was somebody that um, when I was at university, they were really um, fed up because they just missed the love of their life had just sort of dumped them. And I said, don't worry, because the proverbial tall, dark, handsome stranger is coming your way. And within about a fortnight, they did. <laughs> oh, wow. So they- I, bet you were, I bet you were that person's best friend forever, weren't you, after that? Yes, I was, yeah. Yeah, it was a uh, it was an easy way to get a few um, you know free drinks. I can tell you. <laughs> <laughs> so, in doing my research um, for today, I was really surprised to find out that before you were in the property industry and became you know such a widely respected figure in the property industry, you worked for United Biscuits and PepsiCo at a senior level. Yes, I did. So, what led you to come into a state agency or a state and letting agency after that? Um, well, after I'd left PepsiCo, I set up my own training business and I used to travel all over the world doing training. And then we uh, got two children. And you can't travel all over the world when you've got two children. And I had intended to be a stay at home mum. But that lasted about 18 months. And I thought, oh, I can't really do this. This is just not for me. So I was lucky enough to get a job part-time in Hunter's Estate Agents, and that's how it all started. And I did expect I would just do it part-time for a while, but property is one of those things that really gets into you. You know, it gets into your bones. And so as the children got older and spent more time at school, I did more and more work in, in the estate agency. And I just loved property. I loved it. So I was, you know, I've been in property for nearly 25 years. Wow. That is a story that's very, very close to my heart. Um, You know, it's one that I think a lot of people, certainly starting out in agency, could relate to and have aspirations to achieve what you've achieved. You know, starting from part-time all the way up to um, CEO level. That That is a remarkable, remarkable career. Do you think... 
your previous corporate experience before agency and being with PepsiCo, you know, and seeing how they were run and what have you was an advantage when it came to working within the property sector? Were there any lessons you'd learned or things that you've picked up working with those brands that you were able to apply when you know you were running Hunters? Uh, I do, definitely. I think a lot of the skills are transferable, especially when you're looking at people management kinds of skills. I think, um, you know, the ability to understand a P&L, to understand, you know, the economics and all that kind of thing also helped. But one of the things that I think, um, you know, has stayed with me all my career is when I first started to work at United Biscuits, their training was second to none. It was really good. And, and I think that's stayed with me forever of the advantage that that can give, especially to a young person that's just starting on their career. So, yes, I was really grateful that I'd worked for, you know, other big companies before I worked for myself. I, you know, I really, really, really appreciated it. Yeah. Kind of leads in nicely to where I wanted to go, really, that a lot of people do say that the state agency is a people business more than a property business. Is that something that you'd agree with? Oh, definitely. And, you know, I, th- I don't think I've made any speech or any presentation ever throughout my entire career uh, in, in property where I haven't said the phrase, all business is about people. But that's especially true of ours. Without question, it is. That is an amazing slogan that I think should be on the wall of every single estate agency in the UK. Um, without a shadow of a doubt. I subscribe to the notion myself that I think we have to be people people within the industry Um, because when people are trusting you with their biggest asset, you need to be able to empathise and sympathise with them. Is that something that you you buy into as well? Oh, absolutely. 100%. I could not agree more. Yeah, because it is their greatest asset and it's about aspiration as well or it's about a problem that they've got to solve and they want somebody that can see the world as they see it at that moment in their experience. Um, And so definitely, without question, it's about connection and it's about people. So if I can cast your mind back to the period leading up to Hunter's listing on AIM, what would you say were the biggest challenges for you and your exec team? Would you do things differently now? Do you think the experience changed you as a person? I think all... All learnings change you as a person. I think probably it's the things that go wrong that have the biggest impact than the things that necessarily go right. Because I think quite often you take for granted the things that go right. Um, I would say the biggest challenge before floating was, of course, the property crash, uh, where without question we could have lost everything that we'd worked for. Um, I've never experienced anything like that because it was, you know, almost like a a light had been switched off. Then when we decided to float, there was so much work involved in that. Um, But it was a it was a nice feeling, you know, sort of when it was finished. Um, I think the worst experience I've ever had was actually COVID. And I remember on that Tuesday when we were all going into lockdown, I was the last person in the office, you know, and I locked up the York office and 
walked on my own down to the car. And that was the loneliest walk I've ever had because I did not know what on earth we were going to do. But all your previous experience takes you to that point. And then you have to draw on all that experience and all that strength and then look for new things to get out of that problem. Do you think on that subject of when COVID hit and being able to count on the experiences of booms and busts over the last you know, 25 years in, in the estate agency industry, do you think that although you didn't have the answers and you, like you mentioned, you were the last person in the office, it was a lonely walk to the car. What, what did you draw back on? What was the biggest experience that you'd had that you thought, right, this is the most similar situation to where I am now. This is how we're going to deal with it. What could you liken it to? Is there anything you could liken it to? Uh, I think there's a big element where you couldn't liken it to anything because it was the first time anyone had ever experienced that. But the the previous experiences that I kept on thinking about and working through was um, the credit crunch. And also I was working in 1992 when there was the, you know, Black Wednesday and, you know, all of that. Um, and so those two things we did get over. Um, obviously, I was in a different uh, different industry in 92, but we got over that and we got over the credit crunch. And so I had to believe that we were going to get through this and we would use similar things to what we'd done then, but also we would use something different. And that was that. And we did that. And that was all about communication. You just had to communicate more and more and more. There was there was no day when there was too much communication. No day. You just had to keep everybody on side as a team, people, business, all that. So is that the way that you would deal with challenges throughout your career is to bring people in closer? A lot of people like to go within themselves and become a lot more introvert. But when you're in a difficult or challenging moment within business, do you like to bring people in, in more around you and communicate closer and be closer every day? Is that something that, that you find works best for you? Definitely that works best for me. And also, um, I think that, you know, uh, talking about the team then, I I knew that there were various people that were better at certain things than I was. So I always felt that it was my job as the CEO to provide a platform for those people to excel at that time, especially by what was needed at that time. Um, and I did. And, you know, th- some of the performances of, of that team and individuals in that team were absolutely outstanding. Um, you know, uh, they all did extremely well. So it would be unfair to mention certain names, but you know, there were people that came up to the front and did webinars, and they were really great at it. The marketing, you know, all those kinds of things. And that's what I think is is a CEO's job to make sure that you get the best out of the people that are part of your team. It's a lot easier for a CEO. I'm sure you'll probably agree when things are going really well because you don't need to tweak and change things as much. But I'd imagine the real skill of a CEO 
from what you've just described is that leadership, the not having to do everything yourself, being trusting in your team and enabling them to fly, which probably created more opportunities for your team to impress you further, to further their careers in a challenging moment. Without question, without question, I think that you've totally hit the nail on the head there. Yeah. What would you say are the key metrics that you found helpful during your tenure at Hunters to help you make decisions as markets change? Um, well, I think what really worked for me was the fact that I did recognise that I'd got different people in the team that were good at different things. And I was never afraid to say, well, what do you think about that? Or I don't understand that. Um, can you shed light on it? Could you, you know, how do you see it? All that kind of thing. Now, that's not to say that there aren't times when I make my mind up and I can be, you know, that's very focused. That's how we're going to go. Um, I do like to think that I listen to other people. Um, you know, if they say, well, I'm not entirely sure that that's the right thing or whatever. But I think that generally, once you've taken all the views and you make it, make your decision and you furry your path, you've ab absolutely got to be focused on it. And there will be times when, when you know, you think, well, is it going off course? Is it the right thing? But, you know, you've really got to think it through, be focused and really put some energy behind it. So again, you know, it comes back to how we started, which is, you know, it's very much about people and the team that you've got around you. That is so important. If you go back to the credit crunch of 2008 mm. and the market challenges that followed, what data or metrics or technology that are available today would you have found it valuable but didn't have access to at the time? Oh, I think there's so much technology now. I mean, in 2008, you look back at 2008 and there was so much of it that was actually manual. I mean, basically, I think the majority of what we had then was like we had a basic CRM, most of which didn't work particularly well. And we had PowerPoint and that was about it. You know, OK, you might have the odd spreadsheet, but you look at how things have moved in technology since then. And, uh, you know, it really is quite incredible. And I think a lot of that, again, is about COVID because COVID didn't necessarily change anything, but it certainly accelerated everything. Um, because that's when you saw an explosion of technology. You had to use technology because you couldn't meet people. I think where we are today is we've got an explosion of prop tech companies, um, and, and I think some will come out real winners in it, um, and it will be those that you know, move forward and those estate agents and conveyances, if we can bring them in as well, that embrace technology, because that is definitely, you know, an accelerator. Definitely. Kind of leads me on to where I want to go to next again, um, which is your role as the working group chair of the Upfront Information Group, part of the Home Buying and Selling Group. For those who don't already know, what is the buying and selling group and what does the Upfront Information Group do? Well, the Home Buying and Selling Group is, is made up of stakeholders within the industry. They can be estate agents, they can be conveyances, they can be uh, tech providers, they can be removal people. You know, it's across the industry. 
it's voluntary and it's about how can we make this process better for the consumer. So one of the guiding principles is the fact that you can't necessarily, well, you can't at all actually be a member of that group and think that you can push your own um, proposition versus anybody else's. It's about making it better together for the consumer. The upfront group, so the home buying and selling group has various subgroups. So the upfront information group is a group that is saying, you know, we've had the same process now for decades and decades. It's very stressful and it could be a lot slicker and it could be a lot more transparent. So it's about transparency so that there's information up front before a buyer puts, um, you know, a formal offer through. Um, and it's about making sure that that information is available on a trusted framework. So there is another subgroup, which is the uh, technology uh, group, and they're putting together the, the, the framework so that there is one source of truth that can then be interoperable with all the different stakeholders. So that means, for example, you know, where uh, the consumer is completing some kind of property information form, we call ours the BASPE, which, the, which um, you know, uh, is, is a similar kinds of, uh, kind of information as a property information form, but it's not manual, it is digital. So that links in with the land registry, for example. So that is the one source of truth that can then be, you know, shared interoperably with all with all stakeholders. Um, <clears throat> and that's what we're trying to do. And where we've tested that kind of information and where it is digital and can be shared, then it does without question reduce the uh, transaction time. So is that the ultimate end goal a reduce full free rates b give the buyers everything that they need up front make the sellers less stressed throughout the, their moving process and finally speed everything up because i met with andrew knight from rics three or four months ago now and he mentioned that in the netherlands everything is done digitally now and it's the transaction times have almost halved um since since they adopted a digital process now, whilst people probably wouldn't want to move in 14 days, giving people the ability to do that, if so required, is probably essential. Because if people agree on a completion date from the minute that they put their offer in, surely, again, everybody knows the deadlines they're working to, but there's also got to be a framework which enables them to do so. Is that what you're trying to create? Absolutely. Absolutely, that's what we're trying to create, yes. And also, it makes it better for the entire process right through to lending. Because if the information is available up front, the lenders can say, yes, we will lend on this property, or no, we won't, or, you know, all those kinds of things. So it speeds the entire process up for all stakeholders. And everybody knows exactly where they, you know, where they stand. That's not to say, of course, we won't, we can't take all the stress out of it because, you know, it is such an emotional thing when you when you're moving home or buying a property for the first time. It's very emotional because it's 
you know, it's aspirational or as we were saying before, you know, it's about solving a problem. Somebody has a problem and they need, you know, they need to solve it. So it won't take all the stress out of it, but it'll take us, you know, quite a lot. Um, and it's so much better uh, if it's if it's quicker and there is transparency. If you could wave a magic wand, what would you change about the way residential properties are bought and sold in this country and why? Well, if I could wave a magic wand, I would I would want a digital pack. So I would want digital ID that can be shared across, you know, the t- the consumer does that once and then it's shared across all those stakeholders wherever it's needed instead of each time you know, they go to an estate agent or a conveyancer or whatever. So digital ID, I'd like a digital uh, property pack. Um, And I would like it to be absolutely part of the process that the protocols are changed so that when a vendor first puts the house on the market, it is part of the protocol that they instruct a conveyancer on day one. And, And I think... You know, if we did those things, I think it would make an immeasurable difference to the home buying and selling process. My thanks to Glynis for her invaluable insight today. You can find further episodes of The Spriff Sessions wherever you get your podcast from. Simply search The Spriff Sessions. And if you'd like to know more about Spriff and what it can do for your business, please go to spriff.com. Thank you for listening.